0: Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey, everyone. It is me. I'm back. This is such an awesome time of year. Uh, We're in the middle of January, 2020. And I think a lot of people early in the year are seeking clarity, myself included. You know, we go through this sort of brain-numbing, crazy holiday season, and um, we come out the other side and we're like, who am I again? What do I wanna do with my life? Uh, So, I want to tell you this really cool thing that we're doing on the Skirt Sports Women Who Move group, which is on Facebook. It's free. I'm leading it right now, Um, and we are just closing out week two of an exercise that will eventually, in the next couple weeks, help us set some goals this year. So, basically, in the first week, we really thought about and listed out the things in our lives that really bring us joy and make us feel alive. And in week two, we focused on a handful of those things and we intentionally did them, you know, each day of the week if possible and wrote about how they made us feel. So next week, right after this post, uh, week three, we're gonna do word play. We are literally going to be thinking about all of those things and coming up with a phrase or a mantra that will set the foundation for the goals we're going to create next. So just a fun, no pressure exercise, only your whole year hinges upon it. But if you want to play along with us, go over to the Women Who Move group on Facebook and uh, request to join. Uh, what, What we're going to do with the goals actually is kind of cool I really like setting goals. Sometimes I'm not super motivated to do them, and when I don't have clarity, I can't do them. So I'm excited to get to the fourth week of this. But I I'm recommending three goals this year, and I haven't done done it in this I don't know this way before. I'm going to do a daily goal, something every day. Doesn't that sound kind of cool? Like this is this is the little stuff that makes us tick. A daily goal. An athletic goal, because fitness is a huge part of my life, as I know it is to many of you, and like a self-growth goal. So this one might be focused on my career. It might be focused on my marriage. I'm not sure yet. Maybe I'll do both. All right. So that's enough of that. Um, So what we're trying to do, though, is to help people get unstuck, because, as you know, being stuck is one of my greatest fears in life. I hate the feeling of being stuck. Today's guest is an expert at helping people get unstuck, literally. Her name is Laura Bergman. She, she's amazing. She's got a master's of exercise science, she's got certifications in many different massage and bodywork arenas. It's interesting, she has a BA in kinesiology, which makes sense, but also in dance. Think about the toll that being a dancer at a certain level takes on your body. It doesn't surprise me that she pursued um, trying to solve the mysteries of the body as a career, as a living. So today, all of this work and all of her history, all of her experience has come to focus on one thing. It's called fascia. I think I was calling it fascia. I don't know if it's fascia or fascia, whatever it is, it's spelled F-A-S-C-I-A, and we all have it. Uh, You might need to look it up. Maybe you've heard of it. I kind of imagine it like a cover or a membrane around our muscles. I've actually had fascia work in the past, but it's So much more than that. If you go on Fascia Lines, uh, Laura's website, she describes it as this, a magical matrix of awesome. Don't you like her already? Fascia is a sensory organ. Fascia is very densely woven, covering, and interpenetrating every muscle, bone, nerve, artery, and vein, as well as all of our internal organs, including the heart, lungs, brain, and spinal cord. I mean, that's a big deal. It's such a big deal that it's kind of surprising that we haven't heard much about it. And that when you think about your, I don't know, your list of care providers, you know, we all have maybe a primary care physician, maybe. Um, A lot of women have an OB-GYN that you visit. We have massage therapists. We have chiropractors, acupuncturists, you know, naturopaths, nutritionists. Very few people have fascia workers in their list of care providers, and maybe it's time to change that. Maybe after listening to today's episode, you might want to change that. I was connected to Laura through a previous guest on the pod, the amazing Betsy Hartley. Give it up for Betsy. She just wrote a book called All Bets Are Off. You might want to go back and listen to her episode She's absolutely amazing. And she basically said, Nicole, you have to interview this woman. She is doing groundbreaking things to get people moving again, or maybe for the first time. As you listen to today's episode, we do cover Laura's past. And one of the things she was told was that she would never be a runner. Many, many Running races, marathons, and triathlons later, she has proven people wrong. And much of it is because she did her own research and decided to become an expert on her own body. We talk about many things. We talk about body awareness. Um, One of the topics I really, really love is the topic of the aging athlete. I think maybe there's a whole nother career for people out there who only handle aging athletes, and the funny thing is we're all aging all the time, but there's this sort of turning point whereupon your performance stops improving and you have to look at different indicators to maybe consider yourself improving or, you know, find happiness in the way that you used to when you were a hard charger. So let's get ready. It's going to be an awesome ride. You're going to learn a lot of stuff today. And in the end, maybe all you're going to really take away is that this woman is freaking motivating and I just want to figure out how to stay connected to her or work with her. You can go over to the show notes to find all the information on how to contact and get in touch with Laura Bergman. All right, then it is time to bring her on. So, Laura, you you have this, like, adorable little receptionist, don't you?
1: Yes, yes. Her uh, her name is Emma, and she's about 16 and about 40 pounds.
0: Does <laughs> she have, a, like, an endocrinological whatever disorder, or what's going on?
1: Yeah, she's my little therapy dog. Um, she... Uh, greets people, lets me know when someone's coming in, um, makes everybody smile, starts the release of um, good endorphins and lowering cortisol levels and all of that. So she's very much a part of the uh, the treatment plan here. You can't be sad when she's wagging her little little tail at you. Uh, in fact, some people actually come in with treats and toys for Emma. And then they're like, oh, yeah, hi, Laura. So uh, she's she's paid in, in dog treats and, uh, you know... Um, Never needs a sick day or vacation pay. So she's a pretty good employee.
0: It's funny. Maybe we should talk a little bit about, you know, you're. we're going to dig into bodies and fascia and all the great stuff in the area of work you do. But this is a cool side note because a lot of ther- therapy can come in different ways. And um, I'll just tell you a quick story. I was at my chiropractor years ago. I had something, my body was just breaking down and a lot of it was Because I had some emotional issues going on. And I remember hopping up on his table and his little tiny dog, like one of, you know, maybe a 12 little pounder, I forget what kind of breed he had, came up and snuggled up right in between my legs. And it almost like it was comforting and it made me want to cry a little. And it was just this like release of emotions that felt safe in the company of this sweet little animal who somehow was aiding in my chiropractic therapy that day. So do you think there's something real here about having our little furry friends be part of helping other people feel better?
1: Well, that's interesting that I say that because there actually was just posted an article about um, that very benefit and then the fact that uh, fascia is a sensory organ that is directly connected with our um, emotions and nervous system and all of that, that there actually is a very real, tangible, studied, you know, measured um, connection there where our emotional health is directly related to our physical health, our tissue health, our perception of pain and pressure and all of that. So, um, it, it sounds like a fun, you know, cute little thing, but it actually is um, very real. And they've actually have studied and, and proven that. So now we have science to back it up. Woo.
0: Yeah, we got some science. I know. You know, I think it's really cool because we're talking about healing people today. And this is one small part of this healing process, the work you do. But maybe people, as we go through today's interview, you know, I think people are going to maybe pull some things out of it just based on the little I know about you um, that transcend the actual work you do. So really cool. So maybe having support in ways that, gosh, aren't even verbal. Companion support. That's one great way to start, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, cortisol levels drop, uh, you produce the hormone oxytocin, all these things that, you know, are very much a part of, of healing. And they've They've even found that if you are stressed or anxious or annoyed, that your perception of tissue pressure or pain is four times greater than it really is. So that means the future in the, the future of, of health, and, and medicine really needs to look at that connection. It's not just hippie voodoo stuff, right? Like you go to yoga and you're like, the teacher talks in a soft voice and you feel better. And that's actually scientifically, you know, sound uh, part of therapy. And so Emma's just like this little part. But I, I just I notice a huge difference in my clients when she's here versus she when she's not here. And uh, it's, it's very um, science-based on the cellular level. So it's pretty
0: cool. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Well, you talk about oxytocin and the work you do is basically to help people get moving again, right? Right. So, like, oxytocin is part of what we have come to enjoy and what makes us feel good and why fitness and exercise is is such a joy in our lives. And when we, when our bodies break down and we lose our ability to produce that, you know, we go crazy. Athletes, we go crazy and it doesn't matter what level of athlete you are. You don't need to be a pro athlete to miss the high or I don't even know the right way to put it, but to miss that amazing feeling that that releasing that those hormones bring when we exercise. So what is it about, what hormones do we release? Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and what are, you know, so that people can really get their heads around that they're not crazy when they, you know, are at a point in their lives when they can't work out the same or can't work out as much.
1: Right. The, you know, the endorphins and things that are released when exercise have been studied and, and talked about and, um, you know, everyone knows like, okay, it's hard to get started. Once you started, you, you feel better. And that's because we're, de- we're designed to be mobile. We're not designed to be, uh, be sedentary and getting oxygen circulating and the endorphins that, that counter cortisol and stress and all that are released just naturally with movement. And so I, I, if I was to pick one thing to make the biggest difference in someone's life in all areas of life, is to keep them moving, and so that's what brought me into you know this line of work is is I witnessed firsthand you know in in my family nobody was active nobody was healthy and and the depression and the side effects of depression just it's a spiral a uh, downward spiral of all aspects of health physical mental you know emotional you know, so if I can help keep people moving, um, it helps all aspects of, of their life. And so what I like to do is, is find, okay, why is this issue keeping you from moving, right? All of the, all of the, the underlying causes, not just, okay, this is tight or this is weak, but how are you moving that led to that tissue being overloaded that is causing you pain? Because if we can keep you moving, quality of life is, is greatly increased. Independence is greatly increased. Your ability to metabolize food is greatly increased. So, you know, moving and drinking water is like the best thing that you can do for longevity of, of your
0: health. Ooh, I like that. Grab a glass of water, everybody. (laughs) Take a sip. (laughs) I've been carrying a water bottle with me since I was in high school everywhere I go. And in fact, I feel like I'm a water pusher on people. They come in, I'm like, can I get you a glass of water? It's like immediate. Um, And I will, I just want to diverge for one second. Um, I knew this incredible person. Um, His name was Lance. He was the president of Justin's Nut Butter and Justin is a friend of mine, and Justin hired him to help him move the company forward. And Lance was Lance Gentry, just this amazing guy that everybody loved, and uh, he did just that. He moved the company forward, but one day he started getting these horrible headaches, and it turns out, strangely, in his, I believe, thirties, he had a rare form of brain cancer, and he had, you know, a couple options. It was like operate and either be paralyzed or lose a lot of body functions. You know, there, it was a pretty risky surgery or ride it out and, you know, let your life end. And so he chose not to have surgery. And along the way in the last year or so of his life, he and his family did a ton of research on cellular health. And I just remember this one blog post that his wife wrote, and it was called Cell Life. And she talked about how water is cell life. And I just, have never forgotten that. It just seemed important to mention right now. Like, there's so much more than the act of hydration, just putting something in our bodies. But, well, yeah. Well, can, and the new can, research yeah.
1: is very clear that fast is very viscous in, in nature, and that you know the the areas that are stuck where we feel like a knot or you know where we get that that feedback that people call pain, that's where the the tissue has been dehydrated like a uh, like the old crusty sponge, right? So your fascia is supposed to be like a new sponge where it's mushy and pliable and and you know. Fluffy and absorbs water, and and does all that well. And then when areas get dehydrated or stuck due to lack of movement because of injury or movement pattern, or whatever, then it's like that crusty old sponge that you've forgotten about under your sink, you know, and you can't really move it. And it's kind of crunchy, and you know that kind I of. Thing. So and and that's spin. that's what they're finding now. So water really is the key to your tissues being able to slide and glide over each other, as opposed to getting stuck.
0: Oh, I'm such a visual person. I love the idea of the slide and glide. Let's uh, let's dig in here to your line of work. Because um, we've mentioned it, we're starting to talk about it. So fascia, what is fascia?
1: Um, you know, I ask that with every clinic I teach, including um, clinics with physicians and, and med students. And it always surprises me that it's very much a, when I ask that question, you know, a lot of like mm, I don't know the Saran wrap around your muscles, and and you know that's kind of what we've been what we've been taught. Um, however, the the new research, which is only in the last you know five years or so, has revealed that fascia is really a complex and very magical matrix um, that is a sensory organ and it innervates all systems. So the, you know, nerves, blood vessels, bones, organs, all of it is affected by this uh, sensory organ, this matrix. Um, and, you know, it has contractile properties and it, it's very much a part of our load and unload in our, our spring to produce movement. And um, it's really this like our, our sixth sense that has yet to be. Be explored. And, and every system, every um, little niche of, of medicine needs to start uh, thinking of the fascial uh, participation in those systems, because a lot of things that are called chronic issues or um, pain that oh, your films are fine. Oh yeah, but it still hurts. It, it has a fascial connection. And because it's all one piece, if there's a snag, like a snag in the sweater in one area, it's going to pull and torque someplace completely different. So where you're having the symptom can be very far away from from the cause. So it's really this complex sensory organ that, that is um, connected to our, our thoughts and emotions and, and every bodily function that we have. It's not like we have 600 muscles. We have, you know, muscle tissue and 600 packets of fascia. And so when you start thinking in those terms of, whoa, this is a whole system, not pieces. There's no such thing as a deltoid or a bicep, right, to to your system. Um, Everybody all works together for every single ounce of movement. Every, you know, you think of I'm going to tap my finger and things happen from your earlobe to your big toe, you know, and so that's where we have to start thinking in terms of treating people so that we're not doing a piece. We're looking at, oh, how does this piece fit into this hole and address the hole, so this new research on fascia being this whole magical matrix of, of um, you know, sensory receptors and everything is, is really groundbreaking. And, and um, as soon as the medical world catches up, it's going to change everything because we can treat so many things non-invasively, including organ issues. Wow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know,
1: isn't it? Fascinating, as I like to say.
0: Fascinating. (laughs) Um, And she's got a sense of humor. I love it. Um, You know, I think you hit on something that a lot of people listening, probably nodding their heads, like what we're trying to avoid in our lives is pain, right? In all ways. Like think about how hard emotional, like how emotional hard conversations can be. Right, <laughs> that's pain. Um, but in our bodies, oh. as we get o- older, you know, when we're young, I remember my mom saying to me, "Like, I hope you appreciate everything your body can do because it really starts to hurt." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, whatever." And now I'm feeling it. Right, <laughs> I'm going on. You know, I'll be 48 this year, and it's like it's things are definitely changing and getting blocked and hurting. And if you don't address them, they get worse. And so we all are are experiencing pain in different ways and different, you know, stages and levels. For some people, maybe it starts as an ache. But if you don't address it over time, it can become like devastating, right? So-
1: Well, that's what I like to tell people. If you listen when your tissue whispers, you don't have to hear your joint scream. Right. This 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 pain is really we have to not look at it as a, a, a negative thing that we need to we need to subdue. We have to look at it as the body is sending you a message. I call it feedback. OK, this area is giving you feedback. It's sending you a message. It's saying warning, warning, warning. Something isn't right. Something isn't right. And so when it's that minor little whisper of like we call it different things, we call it a um Uh, stiff or like a hitch or it's stuck or I kind of have this thing like we don't really know how to verbalize it but those are the warning signs that your body's saying hey I'm being used or loaded in a way I'm not designed to do so and you know you need to do something about it so if we listen when our tissue whispers when um, our our organs whisper to us, right? Our body gives us these signals. If we listen to the whisper, we don't have to get to the point of screaming. And that's really hard because we've been taught you don't go to the doctor until it's crisis mode.
0: It's really great, right. Great point. And
1: so we have to listen to the whispers and do something about it then, before it gets to the screen. We've, you know, anyone that's had knee pain that can, if they thought about it, really could pinpoint, oh, yeah, I kind of felt a little stiff going downstairs, or I kind of felt a little ache after I would run, but I just, and then fill in the blank, right, I just continued on my day, or I took Advil or whatever, instead of saying, okay, this is a warning sign that needs to be heeded. But in our, that's why I'm not in a clinic setting right now in in another sports medicine clinic, I had to create my own because I want people to be able to come in when something's just not right. So that doesn't graduate to this huge injury.
0: You know, I think that's one of the frustrations of how we it's been ingrained that we approach our medical care. You know, we have this insurance system and most people their first thing is I'm going to go to my MD, my doctor. You know, I live in Boulder, Colorado. I've got the holistic like network of, you know, I've actually got a fascia guy I've seen and he's amazing. And I've got a chiropractor and I can do acupuncture and I can see a PT. I can, you can like name it. It's out there. And I always go to that realm of healing, of healers before I go to the MD. But a lot of people do it the other way. They say, okay, say in the example you gave, their knee pain started small, it got bigger. They went to the MD, they said, we'll take an X ray. And you mentioned this earlier, like, their x-ray is going to come back not probably showing anything and the doctor's just going to say you're fine which is going to make people right. feel crazy and then then what they just ride it out till it gets worse till something shows exactly. up on an x-ray somewhere like how does this really how can we break that cycle for people
1: um i think it's it's education and this is this is you know uh, why I do what I do is to let people know that it's okay to advocate for yourself. It's okay to say, I don't care what the films say. It hurts when I do this. And the answer is not to just not do it. The answer is to figure out why it's hurting when you do this. You you don't just wake up one day and your IT band says, I'm going to be in a bad mood. Hmm. And like, that, that doesn't happen. There's a reason why. And you know, we have to look at the why. And you know what you go to another person and to another person until they can help you with the why and I think we're we think like oh if the doctor said nothing's wrong it's nothing wrong and as women specifically we are always told oh it's stress you know for like half of our things
0: totally <laughs> and
1: frustrating and so you advocate for yourself and you never give up you never give up in saying this hurts and it is not okay I do not have to live is not the new normal. And those are things that we're told if the films come back fine.
0: So, and that's hard. So, for a lot of people, like you wouldn't be the first person they contact because they don't even know about the work you do. So, oh, right. you know, they may start with a chiropractor or a massage therapist or something, but eventually, if they do find their way to you, which I hope they do, <laughs> what do you do for somebody who comes in? And I mean, we could just keep using the example because a lot of people have it of knee pain. Like, how do you approach this 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 person and their their case?
1: Well, I think the important part of that sentence is how do you approach this person, and and that's exactly the point. Is I look at the whole person. I don't look at, Oh, this is me. This is knee pain. Okay. Because that knee is just the victim of, of a perpetrator somewhere else. And so I look at the person, I don't have any chairs in my office and you take your shoes off at the door. And as I'm talking to them, I'm observing how they're talking, how they're standing, how they're moving, what they're doing, shifting their weight. How are they supporting themselves um, unconsciously? You know, subconsciously, and so that tells me a lot because the 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 repetitive motions that you've done throughout your day, your whole life, even just how you're standing, has brought you, has formed your body into a shape. Things are long, things are short, things are tight, things are weak, um, based on the position that you have been putting them in. And we all focus on our our oh well, what I'm doing in the gym, or oh, what I'm running, but what you're doing. Most throughout the day are these little tiny things of how you're standing um, when you're talking to somebody, when you're waiting in line, how you get up and down out of a chair, how you go up and down stairs. Those are repetitive stresses that we aren't even thinking about. But if you sit down and stand up with your knee collapsing in, you know, say a thousand times a day, every day for 40 years, it's not that, oh, you're 40 and your knee hurts, it's that you've done it that way, thousands of repetitions for. 40 years and your knees finally said enough, you know? So what I do is I'm observing while I'm talking to them and that tells me a lot. (laughs) And then I'll ask them to do some very functional um, daily life movements. I don't use words like squats or lunges or anything like that. I just say, you know, Hey, go, go sit down on that bench. And then, okay, that was awesome. Go ahead and stand up. And I might have them um, stand on one foot because, even if they're not runners, walking is a series of balances on one foot. So it lets me know exactly what's happening. I'll have them close their eyes to see who fires, meaning does the femur immediately rotate, right? Do the adductors fire without any counter from the glutes? Does the foot collapse first, taking the femur with it? And that's that's bringing the knee and hip with it. So it kind of lets me see who who is the... Is, uh, failing who's on vacation who's not firing um as far as the the muscles go and that that gives me a really good um place to start so i look statically on how they're standing because that tells me kind of like the the fascia stirrup right what is long what is short how you know how their foot is falling because that's going to be affecting the knee what what's happening at their pelvis because that's going to be affecting the knee. Where's their head? Where's their shoulders? And then I look on how that whole system moves, right? Because that knee is being affected by everyone who's moving or not moving above and below it. Um, So I look at the whole person and how that knee fits into how that whole person is moving. And then I do a table evaluation as well, you know, um, kind of on the more manual therapy side of, okay, looking at alignment and this kind of thing, but you have to look at how the system is moving because that's the repetitive stress that led to the feedback. Ouch.
0: Okay. So most of us probably have these, I don't know, maybe call it like a deeply formed habit, right? Of Uh standing a certain way of slouching a little bit of, I mean, I was even thinking about when, I had a baby and your body has to change to be able to accommodate the pregnancy and like the balance Uh of your body. Then you have this baby and then you spend like two years with one hip jutting Uh out to the side because you're carrying a baby on your hip, but also those freaking... Car seats because you <laughs> right. watch a woman, and like you can't leave your baby in the car even to go get a cup of coffee somewhere. So you have to take that thing out and you hold it at this weird angle right. and you're totally mm-hmm. jacked. Mm-hmm. So like, how do we break? these deeply formed habits. So yeah, you can be like, okay, so you're walking like you're not you this one muscle in your glute isn't firing. So try walking a different way. Like, how do you really break these super deeply lifelong formed habits of standing and sitting and and how we hold ourselves to help change that muscle reaction?
1: Well, what what we have to do is develop uh, awareness of where our body is in space and how it con- connects to the ground. We've totally disengaged that, you know, um, and as one day, <laughs> my dream, one day fascia will be taught as a sixth sense and feeling your fascia and what is tight and short and weak and how your your body's being pulled this way or that. that. That is a skill that you can learn. That's an awareness that you can use as a tool. You know, just doing a body scan, if you stood up, relax your arms down and just close your eyes for a second, what is happening with your big toe? Most of the time when I ask, no one has any idea. Do you feel more weight on the inside of your foot or the outside of your foot? Do you feel space around your knees or do you feel your knees locked? Do You feel your pelvis tipping forward or backwards? Where's your rib cage in relation to that pelvis? What's your head doing in relation to the rib cage, right? So having this awareness is the first step of, oh, I didn't even know I was, you know, leaning in my hip. I call it being, you know, you need to be stable, not sassy, right? And so, um, you know, the first step is developing that awareness and then, you, you can't just do exercises to undo it, right? Fascially, you are stuck in this position that you've put yourself in repetitively. And so the first step is address the hardware, right? So say the pelvis is tipped forward, you know, or hiked up on one side, lengthen what is short, um, feed slack into what is, what is too tight. Then you can say, okay, so now the system can be neutral. Your hardware is now adjusted to be neutral. Then it's a matter of reprogramming the software, your brain to say, okay, be, now that you, you can do this neutral position, your job is to not, not do it. And then it's like, whoa. <laughs> okay. So now you, now just being aware of not doing that repetitive pattern, the muscles can work and can be recruited in a way that they're designed um to work. So, you know, being aware is the first step. Address, addressing the fascial imbalances is the second step. And then we can say, okay, now that you're a neutral, your personal neutral, let's get the muscle strong enough to support that. And just like, you know, it's not like, oh, I need an hour every day to do these exercises. If you are just not doing the position that caused you to be in balance, that in and of itself is going to get you stronger in the places that you need to be you need to get stronger. So awareness is definitely the first, um, the first step.
0: So when they, when you do this initial evaluation and then you start doing actual treatment on people, like what can they expect?
1: Um, so I, my process is, you know, after I've watched you move, um, I address the the hardware like I was talking about. So the fascial um, issues. So if the pelvis is tilted forward, for example, so we sit a lot, a lot of us sit a lot. And so the front of the hips are tight. And if the front of the hips are tight, so the, you know, the. Rectus femoris attaches from the knee to the hip. So that's a quad muscle. So if that's tight, it's going to pull the hip forward. If the psoas is tight, it's going to pull the pelvis forward. Um, So that means everything in the back, your hamstrings, your calf, your plantar fascia is all going to be yanked on. So first I will adjust, you know, the the pelvis um, or the foot or whatever to get it um, back to more neutral position. And the, the important thing is it's not painful. It does not have to hurt to work. The older techniques um, based on not new research, you know, oh, it has to hurt to work. Well, the new research is very clear that fascia responds to melting and moving. And because there's different type of receptors in fascia, depending on what you want to accomplish with the tissue work, you need to work the tissue in a different way. And because fascia is a sensory organ, you need to work within that central nervous system. So if that person's saying, ouch, that hurts, then the practitioner needs to lighten up, slow down. Because if the person is getting the feedback, oh, I need to guard because this hurts, the tissue is not going to be responsive and let go. So this slow melting and moving and warming because of the viscous nature of the fascial system is really how you make um, change. And it's not a stressful experience. It's not a painful experience. It's not, I'm going to force you into neutral. It's working with the, the person as a whole, which includes the brain, right? Includes the emotions. So who am I to say, oh, well, suck it up. It has to hurt so you feel better. No, no, no. There is no point that you should feel um, traumatized or, or the flight or fight response being evoked or, or stressed in any way, because that's going to counter exactly what we're trying to do. And if, if your nervous system is saying, ouch, that's too much, who am I to say, no, it's not, right? It, it doesn't make you tougher if you, if you can take the pain, right? Which is very different than what we've, we've all been uh, accustomed to. That's your nervous system giving you, remember, we called it feedback, saying feedback, warning, right? And then, you know, what I have found is if I just slow down and I wait and for me, I, you know, kind of talk to the tissue and say, you know what? It's safe. You can let go. There's no reason to guard. I'm with you, right? That kind of approach. And then the tissue says, oh, okay, it's safe. I can let go. And if it doesn't let go, that means someone somewhere else is pulling on it. So that doesn't mean I put more force into that area. It means, okay, where else do I need to go? Because somewhere else is pulling on that tissue in a way that's saying you can't let go. And so it's very much a a system approach. You have to be patient, work with the person as a person, not just tissue, right? you know what the what that person is experiencing and, and address it all together so if i have the person saying okay this area is giving you a little, a little feedback i want you to focus on that area and take a couple nice deep breaths tell that tissue it's okay to let go because a lot of guarding has a uh, emotional and neural connection Right. And so guess what we have to do during treatment sessions. We need to have that emotional neural connection, which means I'm talking to you. You're talking to me. We're both talking to the tissue. Right. Which is why my sessions aren't, you know, sheets and candles and you zone out. It's we are working together because the system is a whole, which has to include your brain being connected to the changes that are happening. And then after that, I give you the corrective exercises to support that work. I can't just give you this mobility and then say, have a nice day, because with great with increased mobility is the need to increase the stability to support it. Right. So they have to go together. You have to get off the table and do the, the activation of the muscles that weren't able to work because the body was stuck in this other position. And so that's how you integrate the whole system and have a lasting effect as opposed to just a temporary you know, relief, you have a lasting fix, as opposed to it feels good for a day, and then you go right back. So the person then is educated in, you need to do these exercises. In addition to this awareness of not doing the thing, whether it was sticking out your hip, locking your knees, you know, rolling your shoulders forward, sticking your head, whatever it was, with that awareness of not doing that thing that that led to you being coming in here, and then these little exercise to help support this new change. And so it's very much a whole process of of awareness, um, adjusting the hardware via tissue work and then reprogramming the software via corrective exercise. And then, you know, you can move better, live better.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. You should see me over here. I'm like doing a dance. I stood up. I was like, okay, sit too much. My pelvic is tucked. I've like my whole, my core is like, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying not to slouch. I'm sure everybody listening is doing the same thing. Um, And many people listen to this podcast while they're running or working out. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, when you're (laughs) running, it's just
1: a matter of like, where can I soften? Right. What is happening with your head? Is your, is your chin jutting forward? Just relax your chin down. Oh, is your shoulders hunching up, especially when it's cold? Can I relax my shoulders? Oh, do I, do I feel light on my feet or am I slamming in the ground? Oh, right. And so then you can, you can go through this checklist of where can I soften, right? Running should be free and easy and fun. And so if we, we if we focus on where we can soften as opposed to I must do, right, it, it, it's a lot better. And when we, we think fascially, the thing is you don't need to tuck your pelvis and, and squeeze your glutes and, and, and work your feet. You get to a point where it is there already. Your pelvis is in the right position. You don't have to do it. Your foot is in the right position. You don't have to do it. You just have to not not do it. And that's where if you do fascia work first, it makes moving that much easier and less stressful.
0: You know, our our friend Betsy Hartley introduced us. She's been on the podcast. I love her. She's got an amazing story and what she said about you was this woman is doing amazing things to get people moving again. And we were we we talked a little bit about it and you know, what came up to me was this concept of the aging athlete. And it's inevitable. We are all getting older. At some point, you know, our Bodies are going to operate differently than they did before, and uh, you don't get faster your whole life. At eighty, most people, unless they picked up a sport at seventy-eight, are not faster than they were than they were when they were thirty. So, I can understand how, and this has happened to me too, how people reach a certain point in their athletic lives or their active lives where. Things break down or they start to hurt, or the repetitive things we're doing come back to bite us a little bit. And as athletes, we're, it's ingrained that we need to just sort of work harder, try harder, push through. And so I wondered, like, what's your take on the aging athlete? How can we navigate this time in our lives gracefully um, and in a way that's not discouraging, that keeps us active? What do you think? Well,
1: the the number one thing, and this is very difficult, um, is to listen to your body, not your schedule. Right? If if some you have to respect the recovery process and how that recovery process might not be as fast or as convenient as as we'd like it to to fit in into our schedule you know the 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 body's ability to da- adapt is amazing we are capable of doing way more things for way farther into our life than we can even even fathom right but we have to listen to our body and its personal rate of adaptation and recovery, which is different for everyone, and I think we get into trouble when we say, well, my schedule says four miles today, even though I didn't get enough sleep, and I'm kind of tired, and I'm kind of like achy, and you know, those are all all things we have not recovered enough to move efficiently, which means something is going to be stressed in a way is not designed to be stressed. And I think as we get older, it's it's very hard to have more patience because it takes longer um, to recover. So if we can, the number one thing is, is listen to your body. Um, the other thing is nutrition and hydration has a, a very key role in your body's ability to recover and to repair itself. Um, if, if you're eating things that are causing a state of inflammation your body has to work very hard to deal with that which is less energy that's going to go into repairing if you're not sleeping you're not repairing if you're not hydrating your tissues not sliding and gliding and so you know where we can get away with this maybe when we're 17 or so these things become very important in in maintaining ourselves. And, and the interesting thing is we take such good care of our cars. We take our, we get our car to take our oral, uh to get our oil changed. We don't wait till the engine blows up. We say, Hmm, I've driven this car a lot. I better take it in. We don't wait till the tires blow up. We say, Hmm, look at the wear and tear. I better rotate these. I better, you know, take care of it. But our bodies, we, we don't, we don't do that. So if we can take as good care of our bodies, you know, as, as we do our car, we'd, we, we'd be able to move better a lot, a lot longer. So number one thing is listen to your body and get tissue work because all of us are doing repetitive stress. We're not going to stop using computers. We're not going to stop texting. Right. So what we have to do is have tissue work and exercises to counter these repetitive motions. Right. So if I'm always doing a forward moving motion because I'm running and biking and doing computer stuff, then my exercise program needs to be combat that. I need to do diagonal work. I need to do um, posterior chain work, mean working the back of you. So, you know, look at our daily life and say, OK, I need to train every motion that I'm not doing in that daily life. So I like to say, you know, work the diagonals because that's where people get hurt because we don't move in the diagonal. So we get short and tight and weak and all the things that are supposed to be there for us. If we're doing multi-planar motion, right? If we were working in fields and, and farms and, you know, throwing hay bales this way and shoveling that way and doing all these things, but we're not. And so, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. That That's for muscle mass. We know that, but as far as the tissue, You know the fascia goes. They have shown that if there's lack of movement, whether it's you know lack of hip extension because we're sitting or lack of you know shoulder mobility because we're never reaching up into the diagonal, the body lays down um, thicker stuff. Right? Says, oh, I don't need movement here, so I can glue this down. So the key to being able to move um, efficiently is to keep moving, but in multiple planes of motion and at a rate that our body can adapt to um, instead of constantly overloading and and doing more. So maybe you can do a hard workout on Monday, say you wanna do some track workout. Okay, well now you might have to wait till Wednesday or Thursday to run again. Okay, well that's cool, maybe you swim on Tuesday. You know, so we have to adjust to our body's constantly changing um, rate of recovery. And that's where our athlete brain, who thinks we're still 24, (laughs) can get us into trouble. Um, So listening to your body, nutrition and hydration become, you know, they're always important, but super important. You have to feed the recovery process as as we age, because it's not as efficient as when we were younger. We've got to stay springy. you know, keeping keeping uh, our I call it tigerosity, our ability to hop and move and recoil that helps keep our body healthy, which means we need to do these springy things. Why do we stop jump roping? Like you can be 50 and jump rope. It's not something you're only allowed to do when you're six, you know, and our, our concrete jungle living takes out these natural motions that we're supposed to be doing lifelong to keep all of our systems healthy and happy. So listen to your body and play. You know, play in all kinds of ways and planes of motion and and movements, and you know, look at look at animals and look at kids and move in that way, and you'll be able to guess what? Keep moving in that way.
0: This is so cool. A couple things um, are coming to mind. First, I think the hardest part for so many people is that we love both freedom and fun and to go play, but we also like to have a little structure in our lives. And so, we like to plan things, right? Uh But our body's constant evolutions mean that it's a moving target. And so, this is going to be, this is just reality. It's just how it is. So, like, we can't be too hard on ourselves when we go a little too far before we really realize what was going on. And, but it's the closer we can get, like you say a lot in the, you've, you've mentioned a lot, which is listen to your body. The closer we can get to really understanding what our body's telling us, the more, um, or the less we will probably hit those total meltdown moments, which is awesome. Um, right. but- like
1: becoming, you know, you know, we need to become fascia whispers and say, Oh, that's, that's feeling a little tight." Or uh, My people like to use the word wonky, scientific term wonky. And then, you know, if you feel in that walk, right, like stop, stretch it out. Don't keep running through it. Don't keep pushing through it. That's your body saying, um, excuse me. And if you stop and stretch or, you know, walk it out or maybe you do less mileage that day, that thing can can get better Why it's small and it doesn't progress to now your knee's not tracking, now your foot's not doing a weird thing, now your hip's doing a weird thing, and then you get home and you hurt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I feel like it's okay as our bodies evolve to evolve the things we do too. So, like you said... It- uh-huh. Say running, just your body's constantly telling you every time you try to run that, like, it's just not working. Well, can you hike? You know, can you get on a bike? Can you stand up paddleboard? Can you cross country ski? Like, there are other things that we can do. And what's really cool when you allow yourself to, to open your mind is that you get to explore more things in this lifetime.
1: Yeah. And it's important to be okay with doing less. So, you know, I say, okay, don't just stop doing it, get the problem and get the address. But maybe while you're working on the strength and stability and running form or whatever, you know, maybe you don't run your five miles a day, but maybe you can run two. And that's okay. It's okay to do less it's like and and, okay so maybe you do two miles of running and then you swim for the other 30 minutes that's okay you know we don't have to compare ourselves to what we did what we used to what we were it's about the journey not just the performance you're right you know anyone that does the long distance stuff knows like okay, every single run you do is, is different. And just because I have a, one day I can run three miles and one day I can run 30 miles. Like it's, it's all, so many things play into that. And it's, it's okay to do less regardless of what our schedule says, regardless of what our crazy, you know, type A brain says, you know, and that goes into all areas of life that, you know, so your body's giving you this feedback. That's not, that's not, a downer, right? It's just okay. I don't know what this is saying. I need to go see a fascia whisperer, but I can do these other things. Or you know what? Guess here's a big one. It's okay to take a day off. <gasps> <laughs> right? Like it's it's okay to have a rest day, unscheduled rest day. It's okay to say, my body's really tired, even though it shouldn't, because I'm superwoman. And, you know, it's okay to do less. And when 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 we get into this idea of less can be more, even in regards to training, then we will see our performance increase because our system is less stressed, and and that's that is something we learn as as we're we're older for sure, um, and uh, probably because we've all already pushed ourselves to the brink of burnout <laughs> and injury, we had to learn the hard way. But you know, in in running and athletics and life we have to start realizing that it's okay to do less. It's okay to go on our body schedule, not our, our calendar. And, and like you said, like have alternatives. Um, I love being a multi-sport athlete because I have to do something every day. Okay, well, if my legs are not recovered, pushing through running increases my risk of injury. Okay, so I'll swim or I'll do yoga or I'll do... I'll just, I don't even have time to go anywhere. So I'll do as many planks and glute bridges as I can do in five minutes. Okay, cool. And that's that's enough, right? This whole idea of that's enough is something we need to be okay with as we get older.
0: You know, you mentioned comparison and we talk a lot in today's culture about comparing to others. Like it's a big thing on social media, right? You're comparing to somebody else's sort of fake life that they're putting out there. But what we forget about is that at the core of this we're also comparing ourselves to our younger selves and this happens so much with women and weight and like getting your body back to what like you're not going to be 22 again um i went to actually had my annual exam recently and my doctor was like, I'm not seeing that, like, you know, kind of the, there's this whole like kind of belly um, cortisol issue that happens to women who enter menopause. It just sort of happens. And she goes, I'm not really seeing that. And I said, well, why is the skin always sort of bouncing around my stomach? And she goes, oh, well, that's, that's just how our bodies change. Like it's not as tight. It's going to do that. And, and, and it was really like, it felt good to hear that from her because part of me was thinking I'm not working out hard enough. Right. And I should like you're, I had a baby also, like you're getting older, you're in perimenopause, like your skin on your body in different places is never going to look the same again. And no matter what you do for a workout, it's not going to be there. So let it go. Let it go.
1: <laughs> right. So it's, it, you know, it's okay to be, be enough, you know, your best that day, like, okay, maybe this isn't my best in my whole life. This is my best for today. And I have to, you know, I don't do Strava or anything like that because I know it, it puts that pressure on myself of, Ooh, somebody's going to see this. And I need to be able to do what my body needs to do. And not not worry about that. And I started recently like posting my 930 pace workouts because I want people to know, like, you know, I maybe on race day, I might race fast. But that's not every day. You know, there's there's, you know, I'm not a a superstar runner by by any means. And most of my runs are are slow and and sometimes feel terrible. And I walk often if I, you know, I'm not recovered from my workout the, the day before just to let people know, like, it's it's okay to, you know, we do your best that day. And if your best that day is, you know, two miles or one mile, half of which is walking, then that's your best that day with what you have that day with where your body is that day with where your brain is that day. And that that is okay. And our, our changing bodies as women is, is really not um, adequately addressed in our medical system. It's, it's just, oh, that's that's what it is, right? Why is there no therapy after you have a baby? Why is there no scar tissue work after you have a C-section? Why is there no reintegration of the entire system of, oh, now your pelvis isn't tipped like this because you have a baby in there. So we need to address all, you know, get everything back. Like there's no post, um, you know, baby therapy. It's just like, oh, your body was wrecked in this shape for nine months. And now you have a tiny human, have a nice day. Like why why is there no post-op work? you know, for that same thing with mastectomies. Why is there there no scar tissue work and reintegration of the whole system, you know, after either of these traumatic events? And I think it's one, we're not looking at the body as a whole and the, the fascial system's role in that. And two, there just hasn't been women in charge, you know, to say, hey, why after a knee replacement do we have more therapy than after giving birth or even a c-section where you know how traumatic that is like why is there no post-op care for to address the changes in your
0: body that's a really good point (laughs) Because I had a C-section mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't get any of that, and I think you're right. And right, now and I'm end up
1: with hip pain and back pain, and and you know all these things that that happen because of that tightening down of your fascial system. You know, I have people that have like 16 years of hip pain. Oh, films are fine. Doctors don't know. Maybe it's in your head. I'm like, okay, did you um, have a C-section? Yeah. How old's your youngest? 16. mm-hmm And so the the scar, the skin scar might be in one spot, but I found the, the line of tightness and pulling the snag in the sweater, so to speak, can be way off on the diagonal. In that case, it was going all the way to her hip. And so, you know, no amount of glute bridges or, or, you know, therapy was going to help unless that is, that was addressed. And it's like, whoa. That's true. Why is there no postpartum, you know, whole physical therapy and, and post surgical work that we do for things as small as an ankle?
0: You're right. You know, and I love this idea of embracing your body as the new normal every day because, right. you know, you do have these traumatic things in your life and then you're expected to go back to how you were before and some, a lot of times without adequate help. And so, no, there is no going back. There's today, it's new. This is my best this day. Yeah, I love it. So you take such a, you know, of course you have the clinical sort of uh, practical side of helping people with their actual body manipulation, right? But you have such a greater emotional and psychological, I, I don't know, just sort of approach to all of this. So... I think we need to hear about how you got into this field and if this is how you've always looked at life.
1: Um, No, it's taken quite a bit of work, what I call train your brain um, to, to get to this point. I was, I very much grew up in a situation of um, I was told all the things I couldn't, I can't do all the things I would never do. And all the ways I was not enough and all the things I was not and was never going to be. So that was my inner, inner dialogue. Cause that's what I grew up with. Right. It wasn't like, Oh, I was never told one time, if you work hard, you could do whatever you want. I was never told that I was never told you are capable of great things or, you know what I mean? So I never had that thought process. I never had um, that, that idea of I could because I I just assumed, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm not good at that. Or, you know, so I've never even tried. I was never athletic. I never did a sport. um, Because I was told from a young age, I would never be able to run. I would never be able to be an athlete. I have asthma. Everyone in my family has rheumatoid arthritis. You know, I grew up in, you know, the ghetto of New Jersey. So there was no like affording any kind of anything as far as activities go. And, you know, I just was like, okay, well, I, you know, I was told you better study because you have nothing else to offer. And so that's what I did. I read books and I studied and I'm like, okay, I will, the only way to get out of my current situation is to go to college. The only way to college is get a scholarship. And, and so that's, you know, that's what I did. And, Um, so I've always just been of this mindset of, I have to, I have to work as hard as I possibly can all the time. Um, and then as, you know, as I got older, I was a classical dancer. And then of course, that's another environment of you're not good enough. These are all your flaws. And so that wasn't surprising to me or wasn't hard to me because that was already my inner dialogue. These are all your flaws. Um, and so it took uh, my adult life after I was done dancing um, to kind of pull myself out of that. And running is what did that for me. I was told, of course, I would never be able to run and nobody could tell me why. And I was like, OK, well, I'm going to have to figure it out myself, which started me on all of this research. In, in the first place, well, how, you know, I'm a human. I'm supposed to be able to do this thing. Oh, well, you have bad knees. Well, why? What's bad about them? no answer. Um, and so I had to figure out, okay, this is, this is why. And that led me to all of this, all of this research. And, you know, at that time I was a personal trainer and, and managing, you know, Gold's Gym and doing physical therapy clinic. And I was never, people would hire the, the big football guy, um, that knew nothing except bench press and biceps because he had big muscles where I had two degrees and various certifications and, you know, but I didn't have huge muscles. So then there's this whole, this another place of, okay, well um, people aren't listening to me because I don't have big muscles. So again, I'm not good enough. I don't look the part. I don't look right. Um, And so, you know, I wanted to be able to, um, be good at something. And, and when you're working in gym all day, you don't want to sit there on a treadmill doing cardio. You want to run outside. and So I was determined to figure out how to run. And, you know, the thing is, when you cross that finish line, which for me, there's a couple times I was very last. In fact, they were deflating the finish line arch before I even got there, you know, but I did it and I did it all by myself. And I had to overcome all of these things in order to get to that finish line. And everyone told me I couldn't, but I did it anyway. And that power was life changing for me because no matter what happened, flood, fire, whatever, no one could take that away from me. That, that accomplishment of getting to the start line, which took a lot of mental courage, right? And then getting to the finish line, which took a lot of mental strength you know, no one could take that away. And that sense of accomplishment and um, strength was something I never experienced before. And so it, it made me hungry to keep up my journey to figure out how to run without pain. It took me three years of consistent work to be able to run without something taped and without pain and, and all of that. And, you know, the all of these mental breakthroughs that have that have happened for me on accepting who I am and 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 the, this mental strength and confidence I found came from every time I crossed that finish line because I had to overcome so many obstacles to even get there. And I'm like, you know what? Other people need this. Like this, this is something that especially as women, we need because it doesn't, it didn't matter what I looked like, how big my muscles were, how tiny my waist was, what, you know, how you know, fashionable my clothes were, you know, none of that mattered because I crossed that finish line. I arrived at the start line first, and then I crossed that finish line. And and that transcends, you know, every barrier, gender barriers, you know, racial barriers, economic barriers. And so I want other people to be able to experience that. So when someone says I hate running, it hurts to run. I'm like, I know I did too. <laughs> you know, I would look at those people and be like, how are you smiling? This is terrible. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I want to give people that sense of freedom, that sense of accomplishment, that sense of life changing mental strength that can carry into all aspects of your life. Cause if you can get from mile zero to even mile one, you know, overcoming hell and I walked to get there like that. That gives you this sense of strength um, and empowerment that maybe some people like me, like never had or had never was available to them. And it, it totally changed my life. And, and now that I'm doing long distance stuff. That mental strength of, yes, you can keep going. Yes, you can. I'm, it's hard. But you know what? You can do hard things. And that is, that is power right there is, yes, this is difficult. Yes, it's harder for you than everybody else. Yes, you have to work harder to go one mile than everybody else. Okay, so you work hard because you know what? You can do hard things. And so yeah. maybe it takes you three years to be able to run a 5K without pain. Okay, but guess what? Now you can run 5K without pain.
0: You know, just what an incredible journey. I can see why you are successful in what you do. You have so much passion. I wonder, you know, your family, potentially what I'm hearing is that they didn't really support you in the way that, you know, maybe you, you wish they had um, in helping build you up as a young woman. Have they, you know, drink in the Kool-Aid? <laughs> have they drunk the Kool-Aid? Are they like on board with what you do now? <laughs>
1: um, no, no. I uh, my family doesn't really acknowledge me. We'll say we'll put it that way. Not to like go into like my Oprah story, but um, no, I'm pretty much on my own, and I I have had to support myself from a very um, young age. Uh, so I've had to fight for every inch, for every mile of. Success in any um, area of my life, and I've had to start over, and I've had to start from scratch, and climb my way up, and get knocked down, and climb my way up again um, with just my own uh, self self reliance. And um, my my hope is that, as you know, as as much of a struggle or a, a journey, I like to say, because that is that you know that is that has given me. Um, the tools to help other people because I had to figure it out all by myself and you know if I can then help somebody figure that out and not have to go through all of that learning and blood sweat and tears um, in any area of life like that that is my underlying um, goal is to be able to inspire and empower people to take charge and have the courage to start the journey even though it looks like you know, the highest mountain ever, um, you know, to, to, to get to that start line, not just, you know, literally, but in all areas of life and say, you know what, this is this is what I want. This is what makes my heart happy. And even though it's difficult, and it's hard, and I can't even see how I can do it, I'm going to try anyway. And, and that is something I did not learn until my 30s of, you know, go ahead and try. It's okay if you fail. Because you're strong and you can do hard things and you can recover and, and, and climb back up again. You know, they say if you fall down, get back up. But, but so often we don't apply that to life because we don't have the courage to even try. You know, we, we talked about our friend that um, connected us like, whoa, the courage to get to that start line. You know, there's there's it took me. I don't know. I say maybe it, it took me a year before I would even run outside of the gym. I was afraid of looking stupid. I was afraid of being hurt and not being able to get get back. I was afraid people would, you know, laugh at me because I ran weird and, you know, all of these. And it came down to I was afraid. And I was like, whoa, I am not going to be afraid. I'm not scared. cat. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, here I'm realizing like fear has kept me from doing all these things. And I had to just say one day, you know what? I'm going to try anyway. If I don't make it, I don't make it.
0: You're right on. Okay, that was weird. We just got uh, cut off for a second. So we were talking about fear. And um, I think you had some more to add to that conversation.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, and some of you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm not scared. It's it's kind of like this lack of courage, this lack of um, confidence that that feeds the the fear to try the fear of, of failure. And um, to me, that's something that running has has taught me and I I hope I work a lot with kids that, that that can help facilitate that that courage and the courage to start and the strength to continue um and the resolve the resolve to finish. And the the interesting thing is that they're now, you know, looking at the connection of tissue and emotions, emotions and and tissue and that lack of confidence and you know, um that that mental process affects how your tissue. If you ever notice, like if you're hunched over and 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 slouching, you feel tired and a little sad. Even if you're not tired and a little sad. Whereas if you take a superhero stance and you you stand up tall and shoulders back and firm on two feet, you feel better, right? So the, this this combination of tissue affecting your mental status and your mental and emotions, you know, affecting your tissue is a very real connection. And in my opinion, needs to be a part of the, the healing process and of the therapy that gets someone to move better, live better.
0: I love that. You know, I think also it could be helpful for people to learn who's in your healing provider network. um yeah that's a
1: current journey I'm 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 looking uh towards it it's it's uh difficult to find um a holistic approach one and then a uh it doesn't have to hurt to work approach a lot of times people hear I'm an athlete and feel like they need to you know Beat me up, so to speak, and digging elbows and and that kind of thing. Um, so, it's 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 difficult um, to find uh, someone to take care of me. So I, I do my best to uh, listen to my body and 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 a lot of the things that I've come up with is because I've had to figure out how to fix myself. So, um, my journey in self care actually is, is beneficial to uh, everyone everyone else out there
0: that's true (laughs) and we you know when we were first starting we talked about 2020 and what the year ahead looks like and you mentioned you had a goal for this year
1: oh yeah so you know 2020 is we kind of touched on it about you know being um okay with doing your best for that for that day like my best this day um and so my my goal is to uh really appreciate the journey and, and each day for what that, that journey is and, and to be okay with, um, not being busy. It is okay to be less busy. It's okay to not be pushing and working and, 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 um, climbing every single day and every it's, it's okay to relax. And this is, I'm not really good at it yet, but it's okay to, to do nothing That doing nothing is a part of self care. That is something I probably will take the whole year to, to to be okay with. But there's always a million things to do. There's always a thousand things to be done. There's always something you're supposed to do, especially as a business owner, especially as a woman, as a mom, like there's always going to be stuff to do. So you have to be okay with not being busy, be okay with um, being still um, and physically and mentally, that that is super important. And I, you know, when I was a, a competitive elite athlete, I had to remind myself that recovery is training, that when I'm doing nothing, I'm repairing, I'm rejuvenating. So I'm not doing nothing technically, right? So if I'm laying on the couch, I picture all of these little worker bees, you know, repairing my tissue and fighting inflammation and my immune system, you know, getting stronger and fighting away these germs that, I was exposed to it at the grocery store and you know, so I had to in my my mind be like, okay, I'm not doing nothing. I'm being very productive as I'm sitting here being still. <laughs> and and you know, taking that time to, you know, go see friends. And maybe that means you're you're not, you know, working that extra hour that night and and investing in life as opposed to investing in work, investing in being busy, investing in Life and, and appreciating the day and appreciating the moments within that day is kind of something I'm going to strive for in 2020 because, as somebody who's been working hard my whole life, that's normal and it's and that doesn't mean it's healthy though. And so, I need to learn how to do less and be okay with investing in other aspects of life that you know there's always going to be work to do. Um, but I love it. You know, that, that, and I think that's hard for us, especially when you have kids in a house and a job and, you know, there's always going to be stuff. So take the time, enjoy the day, sit down, like, like you know, Emma, my little dog, we talked about in the beginning, she's 16. And so, you know what, if she wants me to pet her for five minutes and cuddle with her or play with a toy, yeah, I have a 50 things I should be doing in those five minutes. But you know what? No, I'm going to stop and I'm going to do that because that. What are we working so hard for?
0: For life, but we're not on life. I may have to borrow part of this. <laughs> 2020, the goal to be it's less so busy. Hard.
1: Less is more.
0: So we're going to wrap it today with final question I ask every guest who comes on the show. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be?
1: Listen when your body whispers so you don't have to hear it scream. That goes for physical health, mental health, emotional health. You know, we all we all have the warning signs. You know, oh, my shoulder's a little sticky when I reach to get my coffee cup. I feel kind of run down. I slept, but I don't feel rested. You know, my stomach feels a little funny. Like these are all warning signs that we dismiss or that we we do symptom management for. You know, so listen to these warning signs and be your own advocate to do something about it when it's small so it doesn't become this big thing. So listen when your body whispers so you don't have to hear it scream.
0: Thank you so much for lending your amazing energy and insight to all of our awesome listeners today. Laura, you are such a gift. We will have um, links to how people can find you in the show notes. And uh, I plan to uh, connect with you myself.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, I really want to spread the message that, you know, you don't have to accept things as the new normal. You don't have to live in this chronic state of uncomfortable. You don't have to give up necessarily what you want to do. We just have to figure out why. And it's a process, not a quick fix. But I think that, you know, people feel like, empower that, oh, with, with some hard work, I can, I can do this. I can overcome this, that uh, people can move better and live better, have a long, independent life.
0: Awesome. It's a wrap. Woo-hoo! All right, guys, what an awesome episode with Laura. You know what I think my favorite part was? Maybe it's just me at this stage and age, but her mantra or her suggestion That what we do is approach every day with doing your best today. I love it. It like takes the pressure off. It doesn't mean that you're a slacker. You're still working really hard. You're just being present. And really that's the key to all of this. Um, If you want to connect with Laura, check out the show notes. You can follow her on social. She's got a website, fascia-lines.com. I know there are different ways to work with her. She's also recommended a slew of books. Very titillating reading, she called it, I think. Um, But you can learn a lot more about fascia through some of the resources that are posted in the show notes. So definitely check them out. Um, I want to let you know I'm going surfing a few days I'm going to be hitting the road going to Costa Rica with Colleen Cannon two years ago I set a goal going all the way back to the intro when I was talking about the women who move group I set a goal that I wanted to learn to surf and I went on a retreat with Colleen Cannon's Women's Quest a surf and yoga retreat to Santa Teresa Costa Rica, and I learned how to surf and I came home and I dreamed about it for a year and then I went back last year for a week and i'm going again because i just don't want it to die i'm the only one who can keep this love and interest alive and i'm gonna do it so uh may not have a podcast up for a week but i'll be out surfing waves and getting inspiration so don't you worry about me (laughs) all right everyone that's it for today you know what time it is it's time to get out there and run this world Have a great workout and I'll see you next week or the week after.